Welcome one and all to Vision on Sound here on Fab Radio International with me, Martin Holmes. A few weeks ago, around about Halloween, Warren Cummings and I gathered for one of our little chats about our recent television highs and lows, and, as is often the case with us, we started out with little in the way of a plan, but just a thought it might be nice to see where the conversation took us. With thoughts of ghosties and ghoulies being much on Warren's mind, he felt like talking about BBC's Ghost Watch, the controversial pseudo-documentary drama first broadcast on Halloween night in 1992, which featured Michael Parkinson, Sarah Green, Mike Smith and Craig Charles, amongst others, trying, and in a large part succeeding, to terrify the nation in a faked live broadcast that attempted to produce proof of certain psychic phenomena from a supposedly haunted house in North Holt, Greater London. The programme's now legendary status as a television phenomenon seems to be mostly down to the estimated one million telephone calls that the BBC received in reaction to this much misunderstood drama, when a large proportion of its audience were convinced that it was genuine, and despite several home media releases over the years, perhaps because of this hullabaloo, the programme itself was never repeated. Regular listeners to Vision on Sound might well be wondering just why this wasn't a show we put out at the end of October, during the season of The Witch. But as you know, I'm generally not all that great at tying the show to specific moments in the calendar, and we recorded a little too near to that date to get the show out in time. However, the conversation does also touch upon the notion of the Christmas ghost story, which makes it slightly appropriate to this time of the year. We also talk about several other television spoofs, and fortunately we even natter briefly about Mortimer and Whitehouse Gone Fishing, which takes us off into far friendlier waters, and means that I, for one, might manage to get to sleep tonight. So let's get on and fire up the Fab Radio International time engines, and hope that we don't scare the Artron energy out of them. Warren, how the heck are you? Greetings and salutations, dear heart. <laughs> Welcome back once again to Vision that on Sound. let me out this day of the week. <laughs> well, it's a good time. <laughs> now, uh, as ever, I approach you with the usual trepidation of, have you got anything you feel like talking about today? I have. Oh, you've had a thought. <laughs> I've had a thought. It's once a year, but it's happened. I love it when they plan ahead. <laughs> <laughs> means I have to do no preparation. I love it. Well, um, it's a bit of a two-hander, really. Oh, right. Oh, dear. Mm. <laughs> There's no answer to that, yes. No. <laughs> oh, um, so, how do you see television and radio as a hoax generator? Do you oh. appreciate your your broadcasted hoaxes? Oh, how I did I don't know. I, 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 I believe everything I see. Warren. <laughs> All right then. I believe. I believe. I mean, you know, what's what's that song from? Not nine o'clock news. I believe. Oh, DC pigs and DC tens can fry. Yes. <laughs> DC tens can't believe that Ronald Reagan's president. I can't believe Boris Johnson was prime minister. <laughs> and wanted to do it again. I can't no, believe. No. <laughs> I can't believe Liz Truss was loud anywhere near. No, no, just leave it there. I can't believe Liz Truss. <laughs> I've got three dates to throw at you. Oh, okay. So open your diaries and tell mm. me where you were. Mm. 1938. Well, I was certainly less than a twinkle. Ah, I was right, less than a twinkle. Okay. Don't worry, this is not, not the trials. Mm. So 1938, if mm. I say War of the Worlds, ah, do you see where I'm going here? I see where you're going with that, yes. Yeah. Yes, American radio, that's always good for a programme about UK television. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I haven't finished yet. Okay. What if I throw in BBC television, 1957? Oh, 57. Now, that's got to be Spaghetti Harvest, doesn't it? It has indeed. It's got to be the wonderful Spaghetti Harvest on Paranorama. Thank you, Professor Stanley Unwin. Which brings me on to my main point. Now, television and media are fairly good at doing the odd hoax. Mm. 
30, it's coming up to 30 years for this particular hoax. Uh, you know where I'm heading, don't you? Uh, I think I am. It's, it's the crayons, isn't it? <laughs> it is. The... <laughs> no, no. When the crayons were interviewed on Parkinson. No, no, that wasn't it. No. <laughs> it's when Ghost Paul Daniel, watch. when Paul Daniels died. No. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. And people rung in and said, why hasn't he? <laughs> you yes, may like it or you may not. Tell, tell me about Ghostwatch. Tell me about Ghostwatch. Now, Whoa. Ghostwatch was a screen, was it screen two, screen one production? And there was so much hype at the beginning of it. Mm. There was a Radio Times front cover. And there was lots of information to point you towards the fact that this was going to be a drama. Ah. However, like War of the Worlds yeah. and, People and are harvesting dim. spaghetti, <laughs> your average viewer who'd started at the beginning yeah. got sucked into this. Right. But those of you who watched it halfway through probably mm. thought you were watching the real thing. Right. So it supposedly took place in a house in Hillingdon in northwest London. I believe yeah. Thread's happened. I've never been back to Sheffield yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> Although... <laughs> No, no, Have they no. not cleared up afterwards? <laughs> no, apparently not. Like no, no, no. Well, that was the only way to film it. Sorry, go on. <laughs> I liked it when um, Woolworths exploded. Anyway, moving on. It uh, was all the pick and mix. Yeah, pick and mix everywhere. So the, the, plutonium, the plutonium sweeties. <laughs> oh, lovely. The ones that glow in the dark. Matron, another quarter, please. Edge of darkness, yes. Oh, did, you, did you buy your sweets by the quarter in a bag? Me? Oh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I'll, have a, I'll have a quarter of pear drops, please, uh, oh. sir, while my friend's stealing everything from me. <laughs> <laughs> Candy sticks, cigarettes, because oh. they were red at the end, weren't they? Oh, yes. Blackjacks and uh, oh. uh, what were those fruit salad? Fruit salad, yeah. Fruit, fruit salad. What were those fruit salads? They fruit salad. Fruit no, I remember they were called fruit something. The salad crept in later. Uh, white mice no. and pink mice. Lemon bonbons. But that's not Lemon. the kind of radio show we're doing. <laughs> we tempt you with the sweet things in life. Anyway, Ghost Watch. So Ghost supposedly Watch. we had uh, fairly uh, minor celebrities in the way of Sarah Green oh, and well. Mike Smith. Yes, Before, well, um, I would say in modern terms, <laughs> they were the giants of celebrity, quite frankly. Well, those are the days before Mike Smith crashed his helicopter. Indeed. With both of them in it. Mm. And then we had Craig Charles, didn't we? Oh, was he, he was, in it as well? Okay. I, I don't he, think I ever saw uh, Ghostwatch, to be fair. You didn't? Ah, no. now, right. You're in for a treat then. So it's based in a house in Hillingdon, northwest London. Okay. They've set it up with TV cameras, and they're mm. supposed to be poltergeist activity. It's very much along the lines of the story of the Enfield poltergeist. Enfield poltergeist. I can't say it now. Mr. <laughs> <laughs> Murgatroyd. The Enfield there, poltergeist. Back. There's a poltergeist. Oh, goodness sake. I would like to say we get letters, but we never get letters. But <laughs> I do. They get shut through my letterbox. Back to the 80s. Yes, people are going to post in a postcard. Answers on a postcard. What is Warren trying to say? <laughs> so Oliver oh, Postgate appears in this house. 0181, was it? 8155. 01 if you're outside London. <laughs> if you could swap my loose dentures for anything, we'll put it on the board. Where are you, Keith? If you're there, stay there. Right. Okay. This is going it. well. <laughs> anyway, Ghost Watch. I realise that we're going to talk about this really serious, serious Serious. <laughs> because um, at the time of recording, we're, we're at Halloween. 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 Yeah, so, so this will probably go out as our Christmas episode. <laughs> yeah, which is actually quite good because I like the idea of horror stores. I'm all for the Christmas horror story, mm. but we'll come on to that one later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Anyway, so Ghostwatch is basically it's before the time of things like Most Haunted. Yeah. But this is what Most Haunted really spawned from. Really? Although it's rather closer to that than you take it for granted for nowadays, looking at it. Was, anyway, was, there, so was we, there a pantomime horse and you involved in any way, shape or form? Uh, which film have you been watching? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just wondering whether it was based on Rent-A-Ghost. Was... Oh, Lord, no. <laughs> <laughs> Help, Mr. Meeker. Nadia Popoff. Who's <laughs> put porridge in my boots? So it's hosted in the studio by right. Mark Michael Parkinson. Whose teeth have I borrowed today? <laughs> Michael <Thank> Parkinson's. <laughs> Michael Parkinson. 
The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Yeah, uh, but at the beginning it says this is a drama. Right. And it's called Ghost Watch. Right. And basically, various things happen throughout this house. Noises happen, apparitions are seen. Yeah. And there's a story of a person called Pipes. Right. There's two small children that live in the house and her mum, and they, they all live in this sort of semi-detached mm-hmm. two-bedroom house, what two up, two down, in a quiet little leafy suburb of London. And there's all this banging going on on the pipes. They nicknamed their poltergeist. My goodness, I said it there. Pipes. Right. Take time back, Sapphire. <laughs> yeah, we could have done with that there. They managed to string it out to about two hours and did it as a really? live-type broadcast. Yeah. And first time of watching it, well, the first ten minutes, mm. I'm going, okay, fine, yeah. Getting halfway through and I'm going, there's some pretty poor visual effects mm. there. Did you actually uh, watch sh- it live as it happened on the day? I mean, I you, did watch it live right, as it happened okay. on the day. It, it was actually on the 31st of mm. October. No, I was probably down the pub. I'd be that age. <laughs> probably, but um, you probably would have been fine in the pub. Because it would have been a weekend, wouldn't it? it would have been a yeah, weekend, yeah. Week, I, I think it's, it was after nine o'clock. Right. So, it, and I I can remember sit. actually, I was drinking beer. I sat with mm. a couple of friends. We were sat drinking beer and we were watching this and we're going, this isn't even convincing. Mm. And we're looking through it. You can see the obvious visual effects. Yeah. But. We seem to have been in the minority. Right. Because the majority took it seriously. Oh, okay. I found it hilarious when some evil spirit managed to drag Sarah Green yeah. into the, <laughs> under the stairs cupboard <laughs> when the door closed and, and she was and, never and, seen again. I cheered. And, and which BBC executive was that? <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was quite a bizarre yeah. Program, but it was banned for 10 years. Right. Okay. It had such an impact where people, because at the end of the program, Michael mm. Parkinson is possessed. Right. Well, and the studio goes haywire, and there's a, the wind blowing through, and there's some the might paranormal export. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, because Parkinson, don't get me wrong, Parkinson, as far as I'm aware, wasn't known for his acting. No, but he was very convincing. Oh. And even his rug stood on his head, so we were all convinced. <laughs> It was quite a weird production. Right. And it was done as a drama. He was most convincing, actually. But um, But they decided not to repeat it. They weren't allowed to repeat it. But if you're actually going off the conceit that it's live, it's a bit difficult then to show it again three weeks later, isn't it, I suppose? Yeah, but it was banned shortly, well, straight after, because of the reaction that weekend. There's also a lot of 80s hair and outfits, I suppose, that should have been, I mean, lots of things from the 80s should never have been seen again, quite frankly. (laughs) Absolutely. Usually shell suits. (laughs) (laughs) Calm down, calm down. Um, I think it's very much a case, it, it is it's a product of its time, but mm. its time, again, could be quite irrelevant if mm. you did it during the 70s. Mm. But it's now it, been, it has been released, hasn't it, as a, as a Blu-ray, not Blu-ray, surely. I mean, as yeah. a, well, so, oh, yeah. uh, right, as a Blu-ray. And um, do you think some things, do you think they, they, I mean, are they worth seeing again? Is it worth seeing again, do you think? Uh, no, because no. there's no... <laughs> <laughs> I heard a thud. What was the thud? <laughs> <laughs> that was the man running off from the other set of dentures. <laughs> I think, slamming I think it... the fridge door. <laughs> get another beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get another beer in quick. Um, no, I think it's lost its edge because you mm. know it's a forgery. It's a, it's, it's a deception. Yeah. You know it's a deception. But we didn't have programmes like that. No. Like Most Haunted Live and shows of that ilk in that so how did it play out on live on transmission i mean this thing started at nine o'clock and said we're going to go over to this haunted house yeah we'll meet the family they've got two young girls oh yes Mm. these things have been happening Mm. curtains have been rattling Mm. and then you get the banging on the pipes Mm. and they go that could be an airlock and they check the pipes out and it's not and Mm. some rooms are really cold Mm. some are really hot Mm. And there's some malevolent spirit underneath the stairs. Right. And who wants start... to grope Sarah Green, apparently. <laughs> yes. Uh, um, Craig Charles is outside with a load of people outside the house, playing up to the fact that it's ghosties and ghoulies and right. make it, making it look a complete joke. Oh, like, they, were, they were like real people on the street. Or yeah. Alleged real people on the street. Alleged real people. Vox Pops. 
Oh, well, yes. they're, they're quite horrific. <laughs> <laughs> and basically, throughout the couple of hours, mm. various things start to happen yeah. in the house. Mm. Things start flying round, mm. and then you get the tapping on the pipes, hence mm. they call him pipes. Mm. And at one point, you find out it's the kids doing things because they right. put a camera up in the kids' bedroom. Right. And you see the kids throw and smash things, right. and they come up, and you see. And then when you think, oh, it's the kids, hmm. all hell breaks loose. Right. And the police have to turn up and have to rescue them. Hmm. And then they start losing transmission at the location. Hmm. And then bulbs start exploding in the studio. Right. Transmission picture goes a bit fuzzy. Yeah. People start running, screaming for no reason whatsoever. This all Thomas. sounds very familiar to me. Yes, <laughs> sounds like Quatermass in the hole, doesn't it? <laughs> and yep, and wait for it. The camera goes trundling off. Mm. So yeah, it's very much like Quatermass. Did Nigel Neal have anything to do with the script of this? <laughs> <laughs> and then um, high winds blow across the studio, right. and then Michael Parkinson is possessed and um, fades black. Right. And then what happens? That's it. Right, but I mean, presumably you get the announcer <laughs> joining in and going, oh, we appear to have lost. No. Nope. You get this no? caption come up, normal transmission will be resumed as soon as possible. Straight ah. back to the BBC One Globe, straight mm -hmm. back to what's going on. No yeah, line get, of explanation whatsoever. Then you get match of the day. Then you get match of the day, and, and an addition of Parkinson. Right. <laughs> With Elzebub. <laughs> All right. Do we actually know who were Parkinson's guests that night? Out of them? Um, chat with um, dressed in red <laughs> <laughs> and Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> Ellie says, How do I follow that? <laughs> but did he make reference to it? No. In his... No one made any reference to it no, at all. Okay. It just happened. No reference. And... It happened. It was something that happened. But didn't something then, horrible happen to Paul Daniels, or was that a different? Was that a no, different that was something about a. Uh, wasn't that about a um, trick, right? Which he disappears or something, or well, that was locked in a box. Right. No, that no, last no, and no, no, <laughs> no, it wasn't. No, uh, it wasn't till the following day, mm. the the reaction and and the Monday that the reaction became evident mm. that they frightened a hell of a lot of people. I think they made quite a few people seriously ill. A couple of people seriously ill. Nobody threw themselves off a roof or anything. I mean, it's, it's not. No, it's, it um, wasn't. It wasn't quite that bad. No, but no. Um, there were lots. You say that. Mm. I think there is a. I'm going to have to look at it now. Mm. I think there is a rumor that somebody died. Right. And that was but just watching like, the goodies. That was... that was just watching the goodies, yeah. But like all things, that's mm. something that could be, it's one of those rumours yeah, yeah. that could Oh, have, yeah, one um, of them urban myths. Yeah. Myths, those things that fly myths. around the room. Yes. Myths. <laughs> but no, nobody did. Nobody right. did. But it caused such a furore, okay. resulting in an estimated one million phone calls to the BBC over two nights. One million. To complain. Oh, dear. I was outraged for being that gullible. <laughs> Wait Thank about goodness Brexit, for Wilfred mate. Pickles and the Groves. <laughs> so uh, I presume it was a busy points of view that week. Uh, yes. Did, I don't... <laughs> was it still Tucky in those days? I mean, uh... No, no. I think it was the woman with the red hair. Oh, the lady no. with the red hair. Oh, I, think it was red. I think it was red that week. <laughs> so um, are those things on the discs as extras then? There are a few bits and pieces of how they made it. Yeah, but uh, a, a little documentary called "Behind the Curtains." Right. But there's not um, but, sort of because it would be quite interesting to see a sort of documentary on the aftermath, really, wouldn't it? How the papers. Yeah, sort of, I mean, I, I, and I know I, that if you're a Doctor Who fan, you get quite used to having lots of very good extras on your DVDs. So you kind of think, well, there's an opportunity to do this or that or the other. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. None of which has been done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's very much a case of because um, the DVD came out in 2011, mm. and I think they did a because to launch that obviously it's a, it was a joint BFI BBC, so to right. launch that they've probably got some damn good extras on it, right? And they've interviewed the entire cast. Oh, okay. So that's, those um, that survive, <laughs> those that survived, yes. My lasting memory of it is killing myself laughing as the camera. 
Sorry, I'm glad you carried on speaking. (laughs) Bands towards Michael Parkinson's mouth. Oh, right. As a demonic voice comes out of it, as the picture breaks up and disappears. (laughs) And I said, well, that's about it for Parky tonight, then. Or was that Gabriel Wolf's voice that came out? <laughs> and I said, next week, Emu makes a return. <laughs> uh, Russell oh, Harty. Bloody bird. <laughs> so, yeah, I thought I'd... Because we're at the witching time here, but as mm. you say, it may well go out at Christmas. But you got... Uh, I mean, you actually sat there and you had a few beers and you didn't... I mean, because you would have been... I mean, you'd have been... 1982, you'd have been laughing your head off at the, at the video nasties, wouldn't you? you 92, yeah, 92 yes. dear boy, 92. 92. I'd have been 22, ah, and there were three of us, and uh, we were fair, we were all sci-fi fans, so we mm. were sort of tele-savvy, and mm. um, we weren't convinced that the no. OB unit they were using was entirely playing ball, because at one point um, you could see on the screen something was happening, mm. and they cut to the OB van where they were mm. doing a little piece with Craig Charles, mm. and somebody's bringing up a, a lever on the right-hand side, mm. and then on the screen you can see a figure appear, and and you're right. going caught you but you have to be looking for those like little things because yeah. i those sort of programs i never look at what's going on in front of you i'm always looking in the back in the foreground right. to see what's you're, actually you're not, going you're on you're not actually pulled into the drama then no no, no and, and no, obviously but, but, the closer you get to the television the chances are the hands will reach out of the screen drag you in and pull you into the set which of course also here. didn't happen you're talking definitely talking the american poltergeist film now <laughs> <laughs> Well, that didn't happen to you either, so... No, alas, no. We did try. We did try. Mm. Are you a horror fan, generally, as a rule? Of this, it was interesting because Mm. it was a one-off of things that followed in about 10 years' time on Mm. sort of mainly appearing on satellite channels Mm. and what have you. I don't like them. Has this trick been tried again? No, no, no. It's uh, of these so-called paranormal investigation programs. I The most interesting caption I ever find in these paranormal investigation things are, this program is made for the purposes of entertainment. Ah. And nobody ever seems to take any notice Mm. of that slide. Based on a true story. (laughs) Yeah. And that seems to to me to speak a lot. Yeah. Yeah. The devil's in the detail. Mm. But you think that might have had to happen because of something like Ghostwatch, you think? because of the reaction to it or is it just that bbc has always had this slightly nannyish approach to oh, not no, upsetting these, these people? are programs that are appearing on other channels mm, but that's what i mean but do you think yeah. because of that happening on the bbc and the reaction to it would that have been why they start having to put these captions on that is a really interesting question because it's not just uk productions that they mm. put it on they mm. put it on a lot of american right. ones and so you can link that to all mm. the worlds can't you because the power that the wireless had then Mm. as the same power as television had in say 92 Mm. but i'm actually surprised yeah but i mean you know american audiences you know they they put may contain nuts on a bag of peanuts i mean come on (laughs) (laughs) do not eat peanuts well what i mean is yeah i think you have i think that's a little unfair no but you have to assume to a certain extent that yes. a percentage of your audience is actually going to be completely convinced. I don't know why no, no. necessarily. No, no, I quite agree with you. And I think people can be influenced mm. by things I see on the screen. No, I quite mm. agree with you. I quite agree with and you. And people are certainly, in, since 1992, as, as I, you've rightly pointed out, people have become more litigious. And so actually the reaction to a television show, if it actually causes you harm mentally... Is quite a nice sort of ka-ching, you know, if if you play yeah. your cards right. So I think you have to now actually put these warnings in place, weirdly. I mean, even if it, you know, if the wires are obvious and, and the puppets are on, on strings, you know, you, you now have to actually let people know that they are watching something that is... You couldn't play it in as live. I mean, it's interesting, because you did start off by mentioning War of the Worlds, and War of the Worlds is seen as a benchmark of that kind of thing. And I imagine it's something that most producers or the impact most producers are still hoping one day to recreate somehow but war of the worlds did have a very profound effect on the people who heard it who again maybe didn't realize it was a mercury theater production yes and i've listened to war of the worlds but mm. i listened to it with the beauty of hindsight well watching yes. television is like watching the hindsight channel mm. 
really. You know what you're going into when you're looking at certain aspects of vintage and art. Yeah, I think it's interesting uh, that certainly back in 1938 and certainly in the wider, should we say, untraveled parts of America, where radio was a new and miraculous thing, and how it worked, it was still in some ways a miracle. It was still magic. So actually, people would have quite reasonably expected everything to come out of it to be honest and truthful. Yeah, a a representation of the world they lived in. So if something comes across, even if it's played as being a live news report, you know, because we would have had, it's not that long after the Hindenburg explosion, is it? Which, which again, that... And that is still, that's still hard-hitting to listen to and watch. Yes. It's horrific. But as you say, they would have been solely relying on what came out of that wooden box yeah. in the corner. And so it's very enough, easy for us now to be cynical and say, oh, well, the idiots, you know, how could they not tell? But it's, you know, especially if you switch on halfway through or, you know, you've missed the beginning or something or someone's just telephoned you or run from the next street. Have you heard what's happening in New York? I can yeah. I can see how that actually would have a very, very strong effect on people. And It can grow legs really, yeah. really quick. Well, I mean, they say that, don't they? You know, a light can be halfway around the world before the truth's got its boots on. And, and it's the same kind <laughs> yes. of, it's the same kind of human reaction to things. We do feel we have to respond. It's interesting, actually, uh, you mentioned this because radio generally in 1938 would have been a very youthful medium. It would, it, mm. it would have still been something that people are experimenting with. Actually, at the weekend, I watched some Saturday night television. I watched Ooh. the documentary about the early days of the BBC. I don't know if you saw that. No, I haven't seen that. So no. on BBC Two, and it started, and I thought, oh god, it's going to be, it's going to be like the Great British Menu. You had this setting table. And I really thought it was going to be one of those dreadful programs about television, a bit like we do. No, <laughs> where nobody knows what they're nobody talking about. Plumb to the depths. That no, uh, no, but where you get a load of people who just say, oh, it was great. It was. Uh, you yeah. know I, that uh, that there uh, Quatermass. Oh, it cleared the pubs, didn't it? And all that kind of nonsense. So I was a bit nervous because I thought I really wanted to watch this. I'd, I'd noticed it was on, but it w- went very good. It immediately started showing clips. It talked about things like Kennedy assassination and how mm. the BBC handled that and how they, you know, th- that they put on a Harry Worth comedy. <laughs> but then, I think I would have rather have gone well, to well, Texas. No, while the while the person who produced the the program after the Harry Worth comedy, which was a, I think it was a retrospective of Benjamin Britten that ends in a oh. uh, one of Britain's requiems, and they said, "Yep, we can put that on. We can put that on." I mean, this is the times of two channel television still. Yeah. So they said, "Yes, we can put," and that gave them enough time to actually put together a panorama for that night. And how that all worked, you know, it was it was actually very good. They had a they had a segment on Churchill's birthday and how that was handled, which was in uh, I think it was nineteen fifty four, the eightieth, and it was his only okay. ever live television appearance. Oh, and so there's actually some really good footage in it. But one of the things that what you said made me think of was they talked briefly about uh, Peter Watkins' war game. <sighs> I I I've, I've watched it once. I can't. I can't bring my. Yeah. And again, scary. well, I was really thinking because of. Well, it was because you mentioned that Ghostwatch had been banned for ten years. Yeah. And famously banned the war game, and it's still. I mean, I watched it a few months ago because it's uh, it's got a uh, release alongside the Culloden. Uh, the Culloden's just as bad as well, isn't it's, it? It's very, they're both very hard hitting. They're a hard watch. Yeah. They really are. Mm. I remember watching War Game the first time, mm. and. Well, it was shown, oh, wasn't thought, it? I think it's some anniversary. On Channel 4, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. We've got it airing. And yeah. you, you sort of watched it. And I, it's probably one of the few TV programs mm. that I've sat there with my mouth open. Mm. going. And, and the reason, I mean, Hugh Weldon gives the reason it was banned was because it was police officers doing the Oh, the executions, yes. yes. And he felt that was the line shouldn't have been crossed if you see what i mean that was his that was his line in the sun he, 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 he thought that my god i thought the content was terrifying well um, well yes but they, they said most of it most of it they sort of thought yeah that's i mean it was excellently made and la 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 and we're going to put it on a, made, yeah. and we're going to put it on a shelf for 30 years by <laughs> <laughs> it's a wonderful piece of documentary drama Mm. It is a wonderful piece of documentary drama mm. uh, i think it's actually more horrific than threads yeah well, Threads doesn't pretend to be anything other than a drama. 
I think that's yeah. the point. It's an interesting choice because, again, uh, when you get back to War of the Worlds and even the panorama thing, when you dress up your spoof, your drama, with the trappings of the real news, the real, you know, using the same methods. You know you know that thing, that, again, this seems like an aside, but when they said about when they made Sesame Street in America, they couldn't have adverts because the advert techniques were being used in the program. Yeah. Do you understand that they were... Yeah what i'm saying there so they they actually said you can't have adverts in sesame street because the children won't be able to tell the difference because the style we're using for the the bits about learning are the same advertising techniques and i think that's the thing war of the worlds is played like a newsreel and to a degree the war game looks it looks like there are people running around with cameras i mean i yeah. know i know obviously the time frame of it is means that it's not coming across as it's a live thing. There's a lot of very good cinema verite films made, like the Battle of Algiers in the 60s yes. and all that kind of thing. Yeah. And it's using the same kind of language, same kind of cinematic language, so it looks like it's a thing that happened. And that really gets inside you in a way that when you know something is just a drama, despite it being horrific and the, you know, the events in it and the things that it makes you think about all being horrible, you can still take a step back and say, ah, yes, but it's only a story. Mm. And I think sometimes these things get inside your head the same way Panorama, because it was Panorama. Yes. And people know. never expected it to step outside of that stuffy. No delivery well they the, they do it all the same way of it yeah. in the current affairs yeah and it's all done straight to camera the same and it's, it's, Dim- the it's same dimbleby language. as well and dimbleby was mm. it was the was it wicked? i thought figure, it was wicked no you're right it is it is it's uh, it is dimbleby, yes. and uh and it's it's just it just feels like another item and it looks like yeah. everything else they make all the little pieces they make for the program and so it's it's utterly convincing and when it's utterly convincing like that, it's very difficult for people, you know, even when they're filled with, they're fooled afterwards, you know. I mean, you could argue that quite a lot of the news of the last sort of six or seven years is all really a very convincing spoof. But no, <laughs> this is reality, unfortunately. It's a bit slightly different. But if you're using the same language all the time, you are convinced by it, no matter how preposterous the things being said to you are. And I think, to a certain extent, that was kept under wraps. Nowadays, to keep something like that under wraps mm. for so long, because it was filmed in a nice sunny field in the summer mm. in, in Surrey, mm. um, to keep something like that under wraps takes a fair bit of going. Well, I think, again, that tells us really the distance we've come in the last sort of 60 years, doesn't it? I mean, I feel now that we live in an era where so much is on your phone, you know, in, in, yeah. your, in your Twitter feed, in your, your Facebook YouTube feed, and yeah, your Instagram, yeah. your TikTok, I believe, is the, oh, the, the kids. Oh, aren't you up with the kids? <laughs> well, <laughs> oh, do you wear your baseball cap back to front when you're, when you're on the radio? <laughs> Uh, Well, I wear my Panama (laughs) hat back to front, but nobody notices. (laughs) It's not quite the same. (laughs) uh, Tonight I'm wearing my Colonel Bream hat. Ah, excellent. But uh, yeah, no, it's, I think it is very strange, that kind of sense of reality in things, you know, I think it's extraordinarily convincing. And I don't think now, I don't know. Because people are still able to keep secrets. You see, I culturally, I think we've come through this era now of people either don't want to believe anything they see on the screen, or they want to question everything they see, or they question nothing, because that's the other problem we have, is that a lot of people don't question things. But mm. when you actually have magazines that are full of what's going to happen on the soap operas you are going to <sighs> be watching... See, I don't like that. No, that's what I'm saying. No. Now, to me... I could never understand why people would watch anything if they already know what's going to happen. And some of these magazines and newspapers would tell you literally everything that was going to happen in a storyline that might not actually happen for two or three months. Now, that, in storytelling terms, is very interesting that people still want to see how it unfolds, but they also want to know what's going to happen. Because I would prefer, I would prefer to be surprised. I mean, uh, you're a old school Doctor Who fan, aren't you? Yeah. 
you're an old school guy. I don't know whether you still watch Doctor Who, but but um, I, the old, I, I do actually. Yeah. yeah. Well, the old school version, it was very much easier for them to surprise you. you know, yes. If the radio times didn't blow the gaff. But but you, you know when they were going to regenerate. Yeah. I mean that. Well, uh, yes. But I mean, you you weren't necessarily tuning in to see that. You were tuning in to see the end of the but story. But did you know that was going to happen because you were a fan? Or I mean, I mean, most of the newspapers would cover that this person is leaving and this person is taking over. Yeah, yeah well, there'd be a lot of hollabaloo in the press about who was going to be the new Doctor. Mm. But they, um, you didn't necessarily know when that was going to happen. No, not necessarily. Or, or, and mean, to be to be honest, watching the new series as well, and not the recently, but watching mm. Parting of the Ways. Mm where Eccleston goes, mm. I'd actually forgotten Eccleston was going. Right. And that did come as a shock to me. Right. But in these days where everybody's snooping around when you're filming and everything like that. Yeah. It? it takes a little of the magic away, but... Mm. Um, but it depends, I think. I mean, there has been, over the past few years, an attempt, wisely or unwisely, to keep more things under wraps. Whether that has helped with publicity for the show as it is at the moment is debatable but the theory is that you'd rather be surprised it's funny i was talking to lisa only a few weeks ago about whether when when a series appears in its entirety you know whether you choose to binge watch it or whether you choose to watch one a week even though they're all available and there are two different fields of thought on that there are the people who will studiously say no i'm going to watch it only on transmission and i'm only i'm going to watch one a week mm. and they're the other ones who will have watched it all within three hours of it arriving Oof. on there or six hours or whatever it is arriving on their tv and then seem to take some delight in spoiling it for everybody else yeah. and that's an interesting i once i'll tell you what I, I, you'll you'll love this i once went to the cinema <laughs> once upon a time, I, went I once the... went to the cinema. Did you pay? I went to the cinema, to you know. <laughs> no, I went to see um, Alien uh, Three. Uh, never mind. No, but I, I, yeah. I, I like Alien Three. I don't think it's a terrible uh, film. But the interesting thing to me was the day it opened. I went to an afternoon screening, so it was Ooh. about the first chance anybody had to see it. Yeah, and yet it wasn't the first showing, and two lads came in and sat at the back of the cinema, and they had obviously seen the earlier viewing, an earlier showing, because they made a point of saying every single line before it happened on the screen to try and spoil it for people in the room. And I thought, to me, that says a lot about how some people take great glee in, oh, I've seen this already. And you know that thing where people used to download films that had only just come out? Or they they'd managed to oh, get, yeah. or they'd managed to get a DVD yeah. of a film that you know. I mean, like the new, I don't know, let's say Batman film, but they'd already seen it because they'd got a hooky copy from America yes. or, or the bloke down Lots the market. Lots of heads in the front, yeah. And some of it, to me, it was always the thinking of it was kind of like the the attitude of the playground is you want to be able to speed. Oh, I've already seen that. I know what happens, mm. you know, and uh, yeah, but we've seen it on a, on, a, on a really really shitty thing that was shot on a, on a video camera in some, <laughs> uh, you know. But whatever, they were prepared to go through that just to spoil it for other people. And I think the spoiler is an interesting concept, and it gets us right back to Ghost Watch because do you think it would have helped or hindered that show if, for some reason, someone had blown the gaff the night before? I don't think we'd be talking about it. Mm. I don't think it would have been another piece of so almost play for today mm. type production. Mm. It would have. It's not along the lines of a Christmas ghost story. Mm. It's a standalone drama, mm. and I think it would have been forgotten. Mm. I really do think it would have forgotten. It would so have the reaction forgotten. is what made it. Absolutely. I mm. if it had been no, uh, if people had paid attention or read the Radio Times or mm. realised that. You know, the caption that comes up of the one is Screen One. That was in mm. Screen One Productions. And well, they, they should know that Screen One does a lot of plays. Mm. You'd have sort of, I don't think it would have. I think it's very easy for us sometimes to forget, though, that not everybody watches television the way we watch it. The way know? we do, yeah. I mean, I you know, I uh, uh, some people scour the papers for all sorts of information on television. or I mean, you know, some people don't even, you know, look at a television guide, TV guide of any yeah. kind. And it's it just a programme that happens to be on. So it's sometimes difficult 
for people who take an interest in production, if you like, to yeah. to actually understand that for a lot of people, the television is a very passive thing. It's just a thing that's there and it's churning out programs. And if they're bored with it, they'll flip the channel and watch something else. Maybe that's changing now in an era of download on demand. Yeah, certainly you go for what you particularly yeah. want, don't you? But in, in certainly in the era of linear television, and you know, even multi-channel linear television, people would go, "Oh, this is boring. What's on the other mm. side?" And I think that's—it's sometimes difficult for us to grasp that people wouldn't know that. So this thing coming on in their living room, especially, you know, I mean, there are a lot of people who even then weren't particularly television literate, and I, I use that in the in the least elitist way I can. Oh no, but no, there no, were, no, but there were people who used to send money if Hilda Ogden was having a problem on Coronation Street, and I'm convinced that some people still think that there are little people living in the box. <laughs> <laughs> I think also, <laughs> well, I know they're well, living they in your head. Have to be damn thin, <laughs> I can assure you of that. <laughs> yeah, I think it was also because the thing with ghost watches. I remember a couple of trails for mm. it, but the trails were just somebody talking to camera. Mm. And there was nothing, no content, because it mm. was shown to be, well, it was it was recorded, but mm. it was supposed to be a live documentary. Right. So you couldn't really, all you could do so is you couldn't, it. yeah. It's funny, it's like, you know, those fake programs within dramas that you see? Yes. Where where they sort of say, we're going to go live. I mean, even in, in Quatermass, you know, you're going to go over live to a man talking mm. about Westminster Abbey. And whilst television in the early 50s, probably a lot of it did look like that, you kind of think sometimes the television that they think they're making that shows you that how television is made is something like, this is a programme nobody would ever commission. <laughs> yes. You know, why would anybody want to watch that? But, you know. I want to know what they filled in with at Lime Grove. Lime Grove, can you fill in? <laughs> Quick, get Fanny Craddock on half an hour early. It's the potter's wheel. It's always the potter's wheel. It's going to be the potter's wheel, except the potter's wheel's got a nasty creature with tendrils. (laughs) Yeah, that's the one if I tried making it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm exactly the same. (laughs) Should we talk very briefly about something happy? (laughs) Well, I was, before we do that, because I noticed you've dropped a couple of hints about Christmas ghost stories, and I just, I just wondered oh, if yes, I had any kind yes. of insight into them. Well, um, I love a Christmas ghost story, and the BBC have been exceptionally good, and there's some absolute corkers. Let's start off, if I say Signalman ah. to you. Ah, <laughs> yes. You see, now, goes, no, 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 ah, no, yes. no, 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 you, you see, you've got, you, you've got to appreciate that whilst many, many years ago, and it is, it must be eight years now, I... Uh, in some kind of rash sort of sale, I I, I bought the BFI Ghost Story set. Oh, I've never actually watched it because I'm too frightened. <laughs> because I know stuff like that gets in my head, and I know yes. That, um, if if something like if I, you know, they've been doing new ghost stories for Christmas the last two or three years on Christmas Eve. That's right, yeah. It's Gatus, isn't it? Mr. Gatus? Well, it's been... I think there's been... We must get him on the show one day. What's he doing? Uh, Can't be doing much, can he? I'd like to get on the show, but but (laughs) no one ever wants to be on this show, it seems. Apart from your good self and the loyal regulars, without whom we wouldn't have a show. But the thing about it is, is we... When we still had a working recording device at home, we don't anymore, but when we had a, a working recording device at home, it used to end up being about June or July before we'd get round to watching the ghost story for Christmas because yeah. we didn't want to watch it on a creepy dark night because if any <laughs> if you watch something like that and it gets in your head, it really does mess with your sleep patterns. And oh, unfortunately, I, I do have various ghost stories on disc and I still haven't got round to watching them, which is interesting, I think, because I don't, think they're necessarily quite as disturbing as their reputation might be and often when you actually do see them you go oh is that it but but the ones that get in your head really do get in your head you're saying and that's just jumped a memory's just jumped mm. into my head michael horden's whistle and i'll come mm. i had heard a lot about this only mm. saw it last year mm. only brought myself to watch it last mm. year because i'd seen a couple of clips mm. And it scared the bejeebas out of me. And, right. and for a number of years, it has these clips of sat in the back of my head. Mm. 
and I sat and I watched it. Mm. I wasn't disappointed. Mm. I wasn't disappointed at all because it's mm. all very atmospheric. But at the end of the day, a spoiler coming up, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to put mm. your fingers in your ears, all it is is a sheet right. that moves on a piece of wire. Mm. But it's the build-up to that. Yes. And it's the psychological effect that it has not mm. only on the person experiencing it in the form of mm. Michael Horton, but it's the viewer as well. Mm. And it breaks him. It yes. breaks his character. And it scares the bejeebus out of you. Mm. Even as... Because it's the build-up, isn't it? Mm. You've got to have the build-up. And mm. it's the amazing fact that it's television mm. doing this build-up that creates this... I mean, it was... I hadn't felt fear like it since I used to... And I know it's a cliche, hide behind the sofa. I didn't hide mm. behind the sofa. I put my hands over my yeah. face and or the cushion backs or of my fingers. Yeah. 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 Uh, whilst watching Doctor Who, mm. mainly, um, I think it was the antimatter monsters mm. that scared the hell out of me. Mm. But it, it had me gripped. It, once, once you've got that grip as an older person, mm. you can't look away. You mm. want to see it. You want to see if they can actually manage to scare you at 50 mm. years of age. And they did. Well, someone did say to me this week, uh, someone I, I read was basically saying that the most terrifying hour of television ever made was Dragon's Domain. Now, I mean, you may disagree with that, but it's an interesting no. take on it. <laughs> you know, um, It's one of those childhood things. I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned that. It's one of those mm. childhood fears. It's mm. one of my biggest... And it still puts a chill. And now mm. I've got it in my head because mm. I can see it. Mm. It's a cheap monster. It, mm. In reality, it's a cheap monster. It's not, though. It's a terrifying mm. monster. Mm. It's a nasty way to die. Mm. And even as a child, it, it, and it's people of our generation that watched that on first transmission, mm. that it, it, it has, it's got into our brain, hasn't it? Mm. I have similar memories. I remember... The the Hammer House of Horror with Nicholas Ball, and I remember I remember the ending of that episode very specifically, and that haunted me for years. Hmm. The ending of that particular episode, but I'm I am weirdly suggestible to certain things. I remember I've said this before, I think, on the show. I remember watching The Shining in my flat when I lived in Manchester, hmm. and The Shining just got into my head, and I even at you know, when I went to yeah. bed, and it was the afternoon I watched the film, and even so, when I went to bed five, six hours later, I'm thinking, I don't want to switch the lights off here. This is, this I, is bothering. It has me. that effect. It has a, such a strange effect on people. Mm. Um, nobody seems to be able to shrug it off because it hits you on that psychological way. Even though you you can say to yourself, "Oh yeah, yeah, it's it's um, mm. it it's just a horror film. These are mm. these are actors. They're just going to go through the motions." But there's just something. Very, very primeval. Well, I think the other thing is, actually, that because most of these kinds of things were films, but films that I would have first seen on television. I mean, I didn't go to the cinema to see The Shining. I have a similar reaction. And again, this is a completely different thing. But I have a similar reaction to Ten Rillington Place. <sighs> Ten Rillington Place, yeah. Christy, the character played by uh, Richard Attenborough, the, well, the, the real-life the murderer mm. played by Richard Attenborough gets into my head every time I see that film. And it really, really does make me think about people and what they do and all that kind of thing. And actually that's the problem I have with, with that film. I mean, again, there was a television redo of the story a few years ago. It didn't affect me in the same way at all. So it is something about the way it's, it's filmed shot and something about that. I also think it's the fact that it's, um, is Dickie doing it as well? Well, yes, yes, absolutely, yeah. But but I think that's the interesting thing because Rillington Place, the movies, it's about 68, isn't it? Something like that. It's, it's late yeah. 60s or early yeah. 70s. Uh, possibly 60s, early 70s, yeah. But um, it's, this would have been the sort of same era as those ghost stories were being made. And it's using very similar... Uh, uh, using very similar sound palettes. I mean, sound palette is a very yeah. key thing. And obviously that ability of certainly black and white television to bleach out the picture and be kind of indistinct. And I'm always intrigued by this desire to colorize things because I actually find a lot of stuff 
works very well because it's black and white. Oh, absolutely. Um, and that sort of terror. I mean, I, again, I know I, I'm very, very old and I sort of prefer to watch. I mean, I like a lot of black and white films, but uh, I've recently been exploring silent horror. Mm-hmm. And silent horror is interesting because it doesn't have a lot of the film vocabulary that came with horror films later. But the imagery is the stuff that the later films have built on. And some silent horror is is actually quite terrifying in its own, you know, okay, you yeah. can look at it now yeah. and say, well, it looks a bit silly. But if you are actually prepared to make that leap, and I think you can be very satisfied by that. But when you well, think about well, things like Whistle I'll Come to You or um, The Signalman, they both play onto a, a palette that's not quite old, but not quite modern. And maybe, I don't know, I see, it's very difficult for someone like me to look at it from the, a 13-year-old now might just say, oh, that looks silly, or it looks, why is it in black and white, or whatever. But actually, to understand how that got into people's heads, I think you just have to, you have to understand the television of the time. The thing with Rillington, come back to Rilling, Rillington. Mm, uh, sorry, I did go it, No, a lot, no, no, the, 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 a lot of it is in the eyes. Mm. The character's eyes do the hell of it. It's the fear. It's it's the death. The death. Mm. The de- There's no sound with the gas. You just switch mm. the gas. And it's the eyes. His mm. heart. His eyes. The satisfaction in mm. his eyes. Mm. And then the poor husband who mm. pays the you, price. Who, go, mm. who goes? Yeah. Who goes from absolute terror of mm. finding his wife passed away to mm. realizing what the consequences are. Mm. And then going to court, mm. and then realizing there's one place he's heading, and that's for the rope. Mm. I think the certainly that, but also quite a lot of the horror films, they play very well on the banality of evil. I mean, sometimes these things are very, you know, it, horrific though they are. It's the mundanity of it that actually yeah. terrifies us. It's the same way that people say, "Oh, we seem such an ordinary bloke when someone's flushing people down the drains through streets away." You know, it's kind of peculiar that sometimes the things that frighten us most are the ordinary things. And I, again, when you well, when you talk about Doctor, Doctor Who, Who does like, that so well, it, it? it's the something that, things. yeah, like the statues are just, you know, they're perfectly yeah. ordinary things, but if you can make them have that air about them. I can remember very specifically watching The Omen. I mean, people now go, don't see The Omen as a particularly scary film. But what? I remember... What? <laughs> it's but, well, no, so, Yes, it is, but, you know. But I remember walking back, having watched that across uh, a campus on a rainy night, and just Ooh. you know, and you know what Patrick yeah. Troughton's fate in, in that is. <laughs> it yeah. was very. It was you do. It makes you think dark thoughts. But again, I think the interesting thing about bringing to place an Attenborough's very very good performance in in that film is the stillness of it, and I think yeah. sometimes it's the stillness that makes people terrifying. And I think sometimes when you think about more modern attempts at horror, because the modern style of television is very, very action-packed, you know, very fast-paced, very moving, you know, even uh, a character like, say, the Master in Doctor Who, Roger Delgado was very still. And quite a lot of the later people playing the role have been very not still, lacking in stillness, if you like. And I think sometimes that does diminish the fear, you know. I mean, evil when... becomes more intensified when it's mm. in a calm, benign mm. atmosphere, mm. where the person delivering this evil or bringing the evil gift. Mm-hmm. But to... you won't, again, you won't have to think of films like uh, The Haunting, or um, you know, or, or or some of the the TV horrors like The Hammer House of Horror. It's sometimes yeah. it's that. Or, you know, even uh, Tales of the Unexpected. It's that last two, three seconds jump cut, jump scare, if you like, that makes the whole half hour. And if that's not played perfectly, it doesn't yeah, work. Yeah, and I, 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 I hate to bring Who into this again. But mm. For me, when you when you were saying that, the, the it was the end of episode one of Pyramid of Mars, mm. where it, 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 you have... I bring Sutek's gift, gift of death to of all death. humanity. It's a gift. <laughs> I'm bringing you a gift. Everybody should be happy with being brought a gift. And then he places his hands on his shoulders, yes. Well, that's probably a good place to stop seeing it. We're talking about uh, Christmas time. (laughs) Merry Christmas, everyone. (laughs) Warren brings you 
Yes. Yes. Vision on sounds, gift of death to all humanity. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> Uh, so you did say you wanted to do something lighter, just to finish us off. I can't remember what it was. Oh, yes. Oh, okay. You usually ask me, what have you been watching on television, Warren? What and have I go, you been watching on television? <laughs> well, Martin, I'm very glad you asked that. I have been binge-watching because um, I've needed something to lighten my mood. Yes. And I was. it was suggested to me that I should go to iPlayer and look up Mortimer and Whitehouse oh. Gone Fishing. No Gone Fishing, right. Okay. Have you ever watched it? Uh, I suspect I've caught the end of an episode occasionally, but I don't think I've actually sat down deliberately to watch it. No. I'm not a great fisherman. I'm, I have no patience for fishing whatsoever. No. And they are like chalk and cheese, but they've both gone through a life-changing operation. Right. Mr. Whitehouse has stents, and um, Mr. Mortimer has had a triple heart bypass. Right. And they've known each other since the mid-80s, mm. late-90s, when their type of humour was becoming more and more in the fray. And right. television companies were snapping them up. And this follows them because they've been friends for years. Mm. And it's a mixture of a, such a warm relationship. It comes mm. out of the television. And this is, says, this is what we're all like, but we just forget what we're like sometimes. Mm. Um, we only focus on the bad things in life. Mm. And th they just have such quiet times fishing. Mm. Uh, oh, well, when I say quiet, Bob Mortimer gets, is hyper. is hyper all of the time. Mm. It's exactly how you think he's going to be. Mm. Being, um, basically, he hasn't fished before, and mm. um, Paul Whitehouse teaches him how to fish. Right. And they both, throughout these series explain little parts of their lives. Mm. And there's a really, really touching moment where, because Bob Mortimer plays a fool all the time. He plays mm. a fool. And they go up to Scotland, and there's this elderly gentleman just downstream from them fishing. Mm. And Bob goes, I'm going off to chat to him. And you can see this guy looking at them as if to say, oh, you've got television cameras. I don't want you mm. coming near me. And Bob goes and sits next to him and has a really heartwarming conversation bearing in mind that the whole series he's been playing his usual buffoonery yeah. self and they're both talking to each other and they say, he says why do you come here he says well i've got cancer of the esophagus and mm. i'm not going to last much longer mm. and bob says well i've um i've i've had a triple heart bypass and mm. i've my friends brought me down here to fish and they have this very philosophical chat mm. about how just sitting by a river watching the fish go by, mm. watching the world go by, can be more meaningful than going for a beautiful meal or <laughs> spending time with people. And for Bob Mortimer, who you know is a extremely uh, eccentric comedy character, mm. it brings you down to the ground and it brings out this beautiful warmth of humanity. Mm. And I don't say this lightly because th th they are two well-known comics from our generation, aren't they? Yes. But the warmth and friendliness from them, and, and that moment, because at the end, obviously, you know, you just know what's going to happen to this elderly chap that he's mm. seen. And the caption comes up at the end and, mm. and says, um, "The program's dedicated to this chap that they met." Mm. But it was just a, such a heartwarming moment mm. that you don't expect in a, a, a program that is, again, an, another program where you think, "Oh, it's going to be a fishing." I don't know about you, but. <laughs> Oh, you put a worm on it and you throw it in the water. Mm. And it's not, it's 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 not as basic as that. Mm. It goes around how we integrate with each other as human beings and mm. how we behave, how we affect each other, and how beautiful friendships evolve and how the warmth of that friendship follows you throughout your life. It's wonderful. I really recommend it. It gives you a really good glow inside. It really is. Excellent. Well, I think that's a very good place. It's a much more heartwarming place to end <laughs> our hour. So um, thank you very much for your time today, Warren. That's been a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. And we'll speak again soon. You take care. Oh, yeah. And you too. Bye-bye, everyone. Thanks to Warren Cummings for joining us this week. And that's about it for yet another edition of Vision on Sound. Thanks to everyone at Fab Radio International for everything they do. Thanks, of course, to every one of you for listening. As ever, I have been Martin. This has been Vision on Sound. Goodbye for now and take care. Music